Hey, Chris and Chandler here from SETN Preps. Look, it's week one of the high school football season. We got a little bit excited. We had a lot of news and notes and schedule changes and all that kind of stuff. To get Thanks, COVID. Yeah, no doubt. So, <laughs> look, we understand. We, we probably went a little bit longer than what we normally do getting into our previews. So if you want to get straight to the game previews, we got five games we'll talk about this week, including our game of the week with South Pittsburgh and Sequatchie County. So if you want to hear, jump straight to the previews. Skip ahead to about the 20-minute mark, give or take, 22 minutes maybe, and you'll be able to find the, uh, the previews uh, around there. So thanks for uh, joining us this week, and enjoy the podcast. This is the SETN Podcast with Chris Goforth and Chandler Morrison, covering high school football in Chattanooga and the Southeast Tennessee area. The SETN Podcast. SETN preps on week number one of the high school football season. Chris Goforth, Chandler Morrison, we are ready to kick it off and get it going with high school football in southeast Tennessee. Chandler, uh, and look, we talked about it a lot over the summer. We both wondered, legit wondered, if we would be here and be able to do this. You know, if we would even be able to get to a week one. I I don't know that we're going to get to week 10 or week 15, no, I don't think anything's a given for this year, but the fact that we are here and we've got games to preview, man, it sure is a good feeling. Yeah, and it just makes every week so much more valuable. And Chris, I'm so excited. I done lost my voice before we even got to week one. So, I mean, that that's how this week this week has gone for us. But, you know, I, I think it's going to be great to get into some football. I know everybody's excited. And, uh, you know, like, like, like you said, I, I don't know. I think it means every game is going to mean so much more knowing what we had to do to get to this point to play those games, Chris. And even with the – and we'll got to talk about this later. Even with the teams that are not even going to get to play this week, it's just going to mean so much more when they actually get to get on the field and play. Chandler, let's get to some news and notes stuff. I, I'm going to run through because we did have some schedule changes that have kind of, uh, you know, creeped up over the last week that, that sort of affected uh, week one games. So I, I'm going to kind of touch on that a little bit uh, here for just a second. Brainerd was supposed to play Baylor this week, and of course Baylor has postponed their matchups. So now Brainerd is going to play Hickson at Hickson, which uh, I think is a uh, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting matchup. You've got mm-hmm. Sail Creek; they're going to play East Ridge. Both of those teams were looking to fill games here in in week one. So Sail Creek, who made the playoffs for the first time last year. As a 1A team, now they're going to step up and play. I don't know that they have ever played a 4A team before. I don't. I don't think they have. No, I don't think they have either, Chris. And and that would be a, that would be new for them. And of course, you know, we talk about Sell Creek. There's there's you know such a new program in the last ten years or so, uh, a couple programs in our area. But you know, I think that that Brainer Hickson matchup. I know no one's going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about it. But I do want to say I think that will be a good matchup, a competitive matchup. Uh, it may be a morale booster for for whichever team that goes to. Um, but yeah, I think that one's going to be a good game. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious, Chris, to see if we're going to see a lot of this happening throughout the season, if people are going to try to fill games later in the season, or if this is just going to be an early type deal because we've had time to think about it. I think that'll be interesting to see if this happens later in the season, especially if there's some games to fill and those coaches want more games to fill those spots. Chandler, I think this is going to be an every week thing. I mean, that's the way I look at it. That's kind of what I think. We've got two games in the state that have been canceled this week. CAK, Christian Academy of Knoxville, at Volunteer, and Knox West at 
Bearden. Bearden is not going to play next week either. Lake County, who is the the defending Class 1A state champions, they have canceled their Week 1 and Week 2 games. You've also got uh, Union City and Crockett County. That game uh, was also canceled. So CAK, we mentioned the game at Volunteer, has been canceled. They will now travel to Daniel Boone. Uh, Knox West is still looking for a game. Columbia Academy, they were scheduled to go to Marshall County. That has been canceled. So you've got Columbia Academy also looking for a uh, for a, a week one uh, opponent. Now let me let me give you this little bit of of information too, Chandler. Let me let me pull this up here. When you have events that are canceled because of COVID nineteen, here's what the TWSAA says. The TWSAA regulations require teams to play a district region schedule for playoff purposes. Uh, regular season standings and building of postseason brackets are done by the TWSAA staff, which creates the need for consistency on how cancellations are handled. Therefore, the following procedures are in place when a team is unable to play. Okay, so if it's a region game, the game will go on the record as a no contest for the school that is unable to play due to the outbreak or a school system mandate. The so school, that comes down to a, a forfeit, basically? Is that what you're saying? Well, no, it's not a forfeit because a forfeit would go down as a loss. Gotcha. This would go down as a no contest. In other words, it's neither a win nor a loss. Now, the school that could have played will receive a region win and an overall win in the standings if the school cannot replace the game with a new opponent on the same week it was originally scheduled to occur. If that school could have uh, played, does replace the game with another opponent on the same week it was originally scheduled to occur, the school receives a region win in the standings, and the outcome of the game will be used in the overall standings. Now, if it's a non-region game. So let me recap. Region game, it goes down as if your team is the one who can't play because of COVID-19, it goes down as a no no contest. So you get neither a win nor a loss. If you are the team that can play and it's a region game, you get to count a region win and then an overall win unless you're able to schedule another team to play that week. And if you are, you still get to count the region win, but your overall win would be determined by the outcome of, of the game that you have scheduled. Now, for a non-region game, this game will go on the record as a no contest for the school that is unable to play due to the outbreak or a school system mandate. The school that could have played will receive a win in the overall standings if the game is not replaced. If that school could play, does replace the game with another opponent, the outcome of the game will be used in the overall standings. So again, the TSSAA is not going to punish a team that has a COVID-19 situation that prevents them from playing. So you are not going to take a loss or have to forfeit a game if you can't play because of COVID-19. In a region situation, uh, you're not going to get a win or a loss. In a non-region situation, same thing. The team that is able to play, they would get a region win if they're able to, if it's a non-region game and they are able to reschedule another opponent, then the outcome of that game would go on their overall record. 
So that's kind of the way it sets up going forward, which honestly, Chandler, I think if you're the TSSAA, that's probably the best way that you can handle this because I don't know that it's fair to punish a team by forcing them to forfeit a game because Mm -hmm. they have a COVID-19 outbreak. Yeah, I don't think you can either, Chris. And and people are going to ask the question, why are we putting a mandate for non-region games? Do they matter? We saw that they mattered last year, Chris. I don't know if you remember this. In 6A, for that fourth and fifth seed, there was a three-way tie in that in that 6A region. Uh, I think it's, what, 2-6A? Two, two, is that what it is, Chris? Yeah. Um, yeah. There was a three-way tie for that region, and it, and it came down to not the region records, but the non, but their record overall against region opponents. And, and so that's why the non-region games are on there as well. I think people are looking at that like, well, well, do we really have to play non-region games? It does matter. That's why you see as a as a region, a team's either going to play all region, just region games, or they're going to have their regular schedule because those regular schedules and those non-region games are going to matter so much, especially now that it may come down to team two teams' time or three teams' time because they've all missed a game and they didn't play each other. And now we don't even have a, a you know, it's going to come down to a third or fourth tiebreaker now because they don't have a head-to-head match. Yeah, let me put this out there, too. If you are planning on going to a game this week, or for, I've, honestly, I feel like for any week this season, especially if your team is playing on the road, you really need to call the opposing school and find out uh, what, what the plan is. Here's what I learned this week. Udawa had only 375 tickets for sale earlier this week. They're allowing only 800 people total in the stands at Udawa. And as of Monday or Tuesday of this week, they only had 375 tickets left. Sweetwater, who is going to Meigs County to start the season in week one, Sweetwater was only allotted like 170 tickets. And that was uh, Sweetwater Mm -hmm. Football put that out on Twitter. And no tickets at Meigs County are being sold at the gate this week. So you have to buy your tickets in advance. I know Udawa is using – hang on a second. I can tell you who Udawa is actually using an app. I've seen some people use Eventbrite. Um, Udawa mm-hmm. is using an app called GoFan. Yep. And a GoFan is actually designed – for high school uh, athletics, which is neat. I didn't I didn't know there was such a thing, but you can buy your tickets to an Udawa game using the GoFan app. We're going to start charging for this show, Chris, through the GoFan app. Is that where we're going? Well, we should. Going with they, they really should. <laughs> they, we, I think we could help them. I think we could probably get some other schools to take part uh, in the GoFan. I didn't know it was there. I'd never heard of it before until I saw that yep. Udawa was using it. I think it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and look in the in the era in which we live, uh, in just kind of how we do business now. I don't know that you really need to have the paper ticket anymore. I hate that because yeah. I'm a guy that has like I, I've got concert tickets to you know every mm-hmm. concert I've ever been to up until the last couple of years when everybody went paperless, and then you show them your you know your ticket or some barcode at the door and they scan it or at the or gate a and they print scan a piece it. of paper, not like a ticket. You yeah. Know? Yeah, get there's, to print it off and take it. Go yeah, through all the extra effort. It's not the know? same. It's not no. the same. But again, I get it. Um, and most of the time at high schools, I don't remember ever getting a ticket except for the playoffs. Most of the time at high school, yeah. you just go through the gate and you pay your money and they let you in. 
So, yeah. And if they did, it was like one of those Walmart tickets, you know, like the ticket stubs you get, like a raffle raffle ticket. You know, and then then by the time the school started getting around, hey, let's make some tickets. Then everything started going online. They're like, well, no one's going to want these now, you know. So, I mean, it's it's kind of that situation. But, but yeah, Chris, I mean, you're going to see a wide variety of things in high school football. So, I would just check with the school because I know you're talking about these issues, you know. I know there's a lot of schools, I think Sequatchie County, from what I've heard, uh, we'll talk about them later, they're they're just doing masks and they're just doing uh, temperature checks at the gate. And I don't think they actually have an allotment of tickets. They're just doing taking those precautions. So I think you're going to see a lot of wide variety of things going on as we go through. And, and here's the thing, Chris. I wonder if this is ever going to be used in those rivalry games where you have a home-and-home where – Oh, where you you limit you limit the number of tickets that you allow the opposing team to have. I've I've heard rumors of this happening somewhere. In East, I'm not going to say the the rivalry. I've heard rumors uh, on Coach T. You can take it out for what it's worth. Uh, a certain rivalry, a big rivalry in East Tennessee, where the uh, larger school in the rivalry they didn't allot as many tickets for the smaller school because they were a huge rival. You could take that for what it's worth, Chris, or whoever's listening. You th- I think you know what I'm talking about which rivalry, but um, it, it, it was an issue, and they were allotting just a certain number of tickets. I wonder if that's going to come up as we get into later in the season and we get into more of these rivalry matchups. Well, here's the thing. I believe this year, uh, for the schools that will have some sort of, of seating restriction in place and maybe mm-hmm. they won't be able to get as many people into the stands, I, I think a lot of them are going to they, – they want to get as many people in there as they can. Um, just from a revenue-generating standpoint. So not saying that some school wouldn't try to do that if they feel like it gives them a little bit of an advantage, but I I would think it would be highly unlikely. Now, one other piece of news, and let's see, this was in the newspaper. I think it was in uh, Wednesday's paper that the Stadium Corporation, the Stadium Corporation board has voted to reactivate Finley Stadium. So that clears the way now for something that you and I talked about about a month ago now, Chandler, mm-hmm. the idea of being able to play high school football games at Finley Stadium where you can get more people in. We'll see what it looks like according to the paper. Um, and again, this comes from the Chattanooga Times Free Press. The reopening of Finley Stadium could also include several high school football games with Macaulay having already expressed an interest to host rival Baylor there given the larger facility. Now, there, here's another little nugget out of this meeting uh, that came out. The meeting was held on Tuesday. story was in the Times Free Press on Wednesday. Finley Stadium has lost an average of $33,845 a month since the coronavirus outbreak. So they're losing thirty three grand a month. Come on. Thirty-three grand a month. So, wow! You, look, if you're the stadium, uh, Chris Thomas, who runs the stadium, does a good job. Chris ran the Chattanooga Market for a long time, uh, and has done a tremendous job with it. You've got to go out and solicit some high schools and get some of these high school games played at Finley because you've got to try to figure out. UTC is saying, "Look, if we're not going to play a fall football schedule, we're not going to pay you rent." Mm-hmm. And apparently, I think according to the paper, um, the UTC said, "Hey, we'll we'll write you a check for twenty six thousand, a one time payment of twenty six thousand dollars." 
and that is something that I guess they're still going to try to, you know, negotiate. But I, I don't blame UTC for not if, – if we can't play football, well, why should we be writing a check for it? Yeah. Yeah, so, you've got a lot of the things that if you're UTC right now that you got to put precedence on if you're not going to play football. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, like, a lot of, like trying yeah. to save scholarships. Yeah, trying to save scholarships, uh, paying from – I mean, you think it's – you know, but, you know they paid – I think they had like two or three masks for shooting at UTC, you know, paying for those kind of things and separators. And, you know, I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but it adds up over time when you've got a campus as big as UTC. But, but yeah, Chris, I, I think that's a great step forward. I think that's what needs to be done. And I think there should be two games a night, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, at, at Finley just to keep people spread out and to keep it from being spread. If you're at a small stadium, it's easy to be close to each other and only have – I mean, if you have a small stadium, you might be limited to 200, 300, 400 people, you know, okay. instead of, you know, yeah. That that was the idea that you and I talked about a month ago. Yeah. Now, let me let me tell you one other thing that I've that I have learned since you and I had that initial conversation for the oh, last. Here's the newsbreaker. No, no, no. I, well, not really. Not really. It's 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 it, it's it sheds a little more light on something you and I are talking about. Uh, for the last five or six years, I've been involved in announcing uh, doing play by play on radio in Atlanta for the Corky Kell Classic. Which is a big, you know, it's it's big time. I mean, the, the larger schools from around the Atlanta dome? go there and and they play. They used to do it in the Georgia Dome. Um, yeah. They've last year we were at Mercedes Benz Stadium, so that has been an issue with what's been going on at Georgia and down in Georgia. You know, they've pushed pushed the start of the season back to September the fourth, uh, I think, and. So, therefore, the Corky Kell has been pushed back as well. Now, the idea of playing, you know, the Corky Kell at one location, which is what they have tried to do in years past, as much as possible. They've played games at, at McEachern. They've played games uh, over at Georgia State at what is uh, the former uh, Turner Field where the Braves used to play. Uh, mm-hmm. They've played at the, you know, the Georgia Dome. They've played at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. They try to do this all in one place. They'll have, like, on a Saturday there, they'll have, like, five games. Well, this year, what they're doing, and these games are televised. You know, you've probably seen them. I think GPTV shows them sometimes. Fox Sports mm-hmm. South has televised these games before. Now, this year, because of the COVID stuff, what they are doing is they are going to play these games at home sites. They're not going to do it at a place like they could, you know, theoretically, I guess, maybe they could play at, uh, you know, Mercedes-Benz Stadium or at Georgia State Stadium. Or maybe they could go to McEachern, which is a gorgeous facility there uh, in Metro Atlanta, and be able to play games, you know, be able to play three or four games at McEachern. They're not doing that. And in talking with the folks down there around the Corky Kell, I asked them, I said, why? Why are you guys doing this? And they said, well, here's the deal. If we're going to have five games there in one day, we don't think we can clear the stadium and adequately sanitize to mm. be able to get it ready for the next group. So that brings us back to something you and I talked about, about playing you know, triple headers Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at Finley Stadium. They may not be able to do that for the same reason that you've got to clean all those people out of Finley and then mm-hmm. you would have to sanitize 
and get ready for the next game. Sanitize the locker rooms. Sanitize the restrooms, the railings, the concession area, all of this stuff to be able to turn around and do it again. I, I don't know. I think you know. I think they should use Finley, but I mm-hmm. think at at max you would be looking at maybe one game Thursday, one game on Friday, and if they do play on Saturday, is anybody willing to kick off at eleven o'clock or noon on a Saturday morning? and then play mm-hmm. another game there at maybe 8 o'clock at night on a Saturday mm-hmm. night? And could they get in and sanitize and get it ready? I mean, those are questions mm-hmm. I don't have the answer to. Um, those are the things that, that I was told that the group that puts on the, the Corky Kell down in Atlanta, that you know the reason why they were going to take it back to school sites and, and literally play at one game at a time at different sites rather than having – five games going on in a row at yep. at one particular stadium, and it's because they can't sanitize it. Yeah, and I think, Chris, the best comparison, if you're a, if you're a high school football fan, Timothy, the best comparison to what you would be looking at on Saturday would be what you look at on, you know, when you go to Cookville in December. There's three games a day, you know, on campus. Imagine trying to sanitize everything and every little nook and cranny of that stadium between games. People are not coming out of there. There are people that are staying in there all day, first of all. Second of all, to watch those games. Because I can imagine that if you're going, well, I'm going to be here and watch a game. I might as well watch another game if my kid's not here and playing, you know. But, uh, you know, and you turn around and just say, how those locker- a lot of times th- those locker rooms there, they're waiting on, on teams to get out. And they're actually getting out there late to the field because they're waiting on another team to come back into the locker room because that winning team has went out there and the trophies or whatever, so they're already waiting, and there's already delays there. So that would be the best comparison, I think, trying to do three and day. I just don't think it can be done after hearing, you know, what you talked about with the Corky Kale, and then comparing to what I know about how the the the, the state championships are run in Cookville come December. Well, that makes me wonder now what the setup is going to be like in Cookville for the state championships. Could we have a full week of state championships, Chris? Maybe one or two a day, all week. I mean, it's possible. You know, they got they got to play. Heaven, would that be? You got to play nine games, right? I mean, you got to play nine yeah. games. So, how are you going to spread those nine games out? I mean, that's interesting. Um, that's getting mm. a little bit ahead of us, I guess. We need to. Yeah. We if need we to, get to that point, if we can get to we're that, we're optimistic, point. but <laughs> yeah, let's let's hope we can get there. Chandler, it's time, man. It's it's time for our week one previews. And again, I'm I'm tickled because uh, there was a time this summer I wasn't sure if we were going to get to this point, but we're here. Uh, our game of the week this week is South Pittsburgh and Sequatchie County. We'll talk about that game coming up in a few minutes. So let's hop into some of the other games that are going on in the area. Signal Mountain and East Hamilton. Let's talk about this game. Well, I think we're going to see one of the best veteran quarterbacks in the area in East Hamilton's Haynes Eller. And he's going to go up mm-hmm. against an up-and-comer. A kid that I think by the end of the year... We're going to be talking a lot about, and that's Duncan Cannon, who is from Signal Mountain. He's going to be the new quarterback at Signal Mountain. And I I think that kid's got a really bright future. All the talk you hear about him is all very positive in terms of his command of the offense and the physical tools. He's got great size. Signal was young in a lot of places last year. Logan Farr is back. He's only a sophomore at running back. He played a lot for them last year. They're going to need a big game from him. East Hamilton just hammered Signal Mountain in this game a year ago. And I think East Hamilton 
is going to throw it well with Haynes Eller at quarterback. I'm interested in seeing, we talked about this with Grant Reynolds. You can go back, if you're an East Hamilton fan, you can go back and listen to that interview we did with, with Coach Reynolds back in, gosh, June now, I guess it was, mm-hmm. but about how they go, uh, how they went about trying to replace Adam Caudill, who was their kind of their bell cow last year at running back. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I want to see from, from East Hamilton. I want to see who wins that position and, and how they use their running backs this year and and how effective they can be. I like Haynes Eller and his ability to throw the football. He's got a good group of receivers, but they're also – I know Grant Reynolds well enough to know that he's going to want to run the football some as well, and uh, I, I want to see what East Hamilton looks like on the ground this year. Can I say one thing about Signal Mountain because I don't know a lot about him, but how could you under – how did you ever underestimate a kid named with the last name Cannon, Chris? I got to know that. <laughs> That's a perfect name for a quarterback, isn't it? I mean, really, it is. I mean, like, hey, what's your quarterback? Who's that quarterback right there? Oh, it's uh, so and so. Well, well, yeah, we're going to lose this game. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But, but, anyways, like, I think this is going to be a really good game. I'm excited to see because of that quarterback play to see if we do get maybe a back and forth like we didn't get last year, it felt like we, you know, East Hamilton kind of took over that game and went through. And of course, you know, we, we had all the issues we had last year with, with week one and in the past few years. And I'm just excited to see whether this is going to be a, 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 a you know, a, a shootout, you know, whether we're going to see a, a barn burner here or if this is going to be a defensive game. Cause I'm interested to see how these defenses do. Um, you know, and, and knowing the, the offenses they go up against each and every week last year, knowing what they're going to see this year, I want to see where the defenses are going to be going forward. And I think this is a good, good, I guess, um, uh, measuring stick for both teams as far as what their defense is looking like and what it's actually going to look like going forward because you're going to have two great offenses out on that field. Let's talk about an old-school Hamilton County rivalry, Red Bank mm-hmm. and Saudi Daisy. They hook up in week one. At one time, this may be next to Baylor-McCauley, this might have been the most heated rivalry in all of uh, in all of Hamilton County outside of that Baylor-McCauley game. As you say, Chris, the old heads. <laughs> the old heads. Yeah, that's, that's what the old folks would tell you. Uh, Isaac Barnes told us that, you know, who was it he said that he thought it was Bradley Isaac Barnes, the Saudi Daisy quarterback, another interview that you can go back to June and listen to uh, here on uh, SET and Preps. Isaac was with us. Great review. Yep. Uh, Isaac was with us, had a good time uh, hanging out with him for a little while way back then, and he told us he thought it was Bradley that was the biggest rivalry now for Saudi Daisy. But Red Bank Saudi, that's a pretty hot rivalry and has been for uh, for a number of years. I think we're going to see two teams here who – just want to put the ball in the air. Um, Red Bank's having to replace their all-time leading passer in Maddox Wilkie from last year. They're going to have a new quarterback taken over there. We've talked about Isaac Barnes before he threw for over uh, 2,000 yards last year. And I like him in this matchup because I, I really feel like this game is going to come down to Isaac Barnes against Cameron Bell and that Red Bank defense. Bell is that outstanding defensive player at Red Bank, Chris Brown, his head coach, an interview you can go back to last week and listen to, just raved about Cameron Bell. Can they get pressure and disrupt Isaac Barnes in that Saudi Daisy offense? If they can do that, 
I, I think Red Bank's going to have a really good chance to be able to win this game, but they're going to have to get after Barnes and put pressure on him. I think Red Bank is going to lean a lot offensively on Lemire Strickland, their running back, because they mm-hmm. are going to have a new quarterback that they're going to be breaking in. And when you got a guy like Strickland, you want to get the ball in his hands as much as possible. I think they're going to lean on him, especially early on, until they can kind of get comfortable with what's happening uh, at quarterback and with the rest of that offense. So I think you're going to see a strong dose of Lemire Strickland when uh, Red Bank has the ball and when Soddy has the ball. I think Isaac Barnes is going to put it up and put it in the air. It'll be up to that Red Bank defense to be able to get pressure on him. And, you know, we talked about this with uh, with Chris Brown the other uh, last week, the, the Red Bank coach. Man, he's got a lot of guys that are going to be playing on Saturday. And mm-hmm. um, I, this is going to be a really, really tough test for Saudi because I, I think Red Bank is a legit, uh, you know, and again, I, I realize they're going to have to deal with Alcoa somewhere down the road probably, but I really think Red Bank is a legit uh, state title contender. Yeah, and Chris, I, I'll tell you this. You're, you're going to talk about defense. I'm going to talk about defense too. I didn't, we didn't talk about this beforehand, but I listen, I know what we're going to get from Saudi's offense. You know, Isaac Barnes, he's got those weapons. We know we're going to get from Red Bank. they got players all over the field on offense and defense. The one thing I don't know that much about, Chris, is that Saudi defense. Are they going to be able to stop all the things that are going on with Red Bank's offense? Are they going to be able to stop all the all those players, all those key players that we talked about with, with Chris Brown last week? You know, what are we going to see from that Saudi Daisy defense? And, and I know it's cliche, and I'll probably talk about defense all episode, but week one, that's the most important thing we have to realize is that where are these defenses at? We can talk about offense. We can talk about all these cool plays. You know, offense is sexy. We talk about that all the time. But where are these defenses at? You know, and I know it's not, you know, it's not cool to talk about defenses a lot. But especially in week one, that's the most important thing. That's what the coaches are going to fix more than not. Um, when they go back in the film room on Saturday, Sunday, they're going to look back. They're going to look back at the defense more than they are the offense. Because they've been running the offense. Defense is so hard to get because you have to adjust to what the other team is doing. And uh, I think that's going to be the uh, uh, that's going to be the key part of this is to see whether that Saudi Daisy defense is going to be able to stand up to that Red Bank offense. Let's move on to our our next matchup: Notre Dame against Chattanooga Central. A matchup. Both of these coaches, by the way, have been on with us in recent weeks, so you can go uh, go back through the archives and listen to Kurt Jones, the Central head coach, when he was with us. Charles Fant from Notre Dame. I think both of these coaches want to get rid of the memory from last year. We talked about both of them about, or talked mm-hmm. with both of them about how difficult last season was. Notre Dame looked like a mash unit at times last year. They had so many guys hurt. Uh, Charles Fant, when he was on with us a few weeks ago, said they're going to move away from the single wing. They're going back to the spread. I expect Notre Dame to sling the ball around a lot uh, on Friday night. I think they'll, you know, they may attempt 40, 50 passes in that game. Central was awfully, awfully young a year ago. They played a lot of ninth and tenth graders, so they're bringing a lot of guys back. Um, and the good news for Central is most of these guys are are going to be sophomores and juniors. So um, I, I think Central sh- this year should start to lay the groundwork for how good they're going to be the next two years. There may not be two bigger teams in our area with more question marks going into a season than Notre Dame and Central, and that's the reason why we had this game to talk about this week because, again, I think both of them are – to a degree, uh, trying to figure out who they are. 
Yeah, Chris, don't you try to take the credit on this one. We both know that I brought this up during the schedule special. You can see it on Facebook, IGTV, YouTube. Go back and watch that. That's a really good one. We talk about all the schedules and everything, and we're not too shameless to plug our own stuff. We are not, Chris. But here's the thing. Uh, this game, I knew this was going to be the game. that you know, If this game happened last year, I think there was a little bit of hype coming into it, and then all of a sudden we look around. You got players injured. You got young players. You got what we didn't expect. And now this year, you got two teams that are kind of coming to the crossroads of that, you know, that sophomore kind of surge. And I think this is going to be, you know, a, a game that, if it's not close, it would surprise me. It would it would utterly shock me if this game is not close and this game is not one that maybe we look back on and say, man, that was a good game. That'd have been a good one to watch and go back and watch the film on for both of these teams. I think we're going to figure out which of these teams. It's going to take that step forward, right? I know it seems, sounds cliche, but which one of these teams is actually going to step up, take that step forward, and, and make, a, make, a, make a momentum shift for themselves this week, or this year, excuse me, it's in the midst of COVID and everything else is going on? Who's going to make that momentum shift? And I, I, I couldn't tell you which one's going to do it because it seems like either one could. Um, but I, I'm really, I really like what – Kurt Jones has done at that school, and I really like what Charles Fan has done at that school in the time that they've been there, although it's been kind of two different timetables there. I, I like what they've both done with these programs and being able to build them and rebuild them to get to this point we're at right now, Chris. Yeah, and I just wonder how much, in the case of Notre Dame, how much not having a spring, not having a traditional summer, how much does mm. that hamper when it comes to trying to install a new offense? Mm. Yeah. I feel that completely, Chris. And I, you know, if if you had to look at whether this offense is going to work or whether it's not, you know, I mean, it's going to come down to can you get it done in the first couple of weeks? And this is going to be a real, real big test for them. Week one, they don't get any, you know, they don't get any punches pulled when they when they play Central and uh, Kurt Jones, who actually did coach at Notre Dame for a little bit. Charles Fant talked to us in his right. interview about that as well. So. That's right. Uh, next game, we're going to get to Marion County and Fayetteville. This is one of those Chandler mentioned our uh, our special from a couple of weeks ago that we did that you can find on uh, Facebook, YouTube, and on Instagram TV, IGTV, uh, where we talked about some of the more underrated matchups. This was one of mine, Marion County and Fayetteville. Fayetteville won this game a year ago. Uh, and then ended up they had to forfeit the game because they played an ineligible player. This may sound like, honestly, a mismatch uh, when you take a look at how good Fayetteville was last year. If you if you go back to how they actually played and not just look at the uh, the wins and losses there because of the forfeit, Fayetteville was really, really good. Marion County struggled last year. But here's the reason why I like this game. It's the reason why I honestly feel like Marion County has a chance to you know, I don't, I don't even want to call it an upset, but I feel like they've got a legit chance at being able to win this game. Fayetteville will replace eight starters on defense. That defense was gutted last year by graduation. They've got everybody back on offense except four, so they're only having to replace four on offense. But among that four, they're having to break in a new quarterback. And I've talked to some guys that have been around and have seen teams practice that have seen multiple teams in our area practice, and every one of them, when I've said, hey, who have you seen and who looks good, one of the teams they've all mentioned is Marion County. And they've all said they think Marion County should be the most improved team in the area. And I expect them to win this game. I don't know that I would have thought that a year ago, 
But this week, I think they've got a chance, legit chance to win uh, this game. And, and Fayetteville coming in, they're a 1A program. They're not going to be very big. I think Marion County's going to have a size advantage. I think they're going to have a depth advantage in this game. And Marion County, we talk about Fayetteville losing eight starters on defense. Marion County has eight starters back on their defensive side of the ball. They also got eight guys back on offense as well. So uh, that's the reason why I, I kind of like this game. And I, and I realize if people are going and, you know, kind of, you know a little bit about Fayetteville and, and kind of how their season went last year, and you know a little bit about Marion County. I think a lot of people may look at this and go, man, this, you know, Fayetteville, Fayetteville may roll. I, again, I kind of like Marion. I really like Marion County in this for all of those reasons. This is not the same Fayetteville football team that was a state title contender in 1A a year ago. Chris, I'll tell you this. I, I think that we need to have a segment on our show every week called the most underrated game uh, in the Chattanooga area, because this this is right there. Uh, I think a lot. What you're saying is a lot of people are going to come up and say, "Well, you know, this doesn't look good on paper." But when you look at the when you look at the favorite, then you look at you know all the things surrounding, all the things new for both teams. This is going to be a really great game, and I don't know if it's going to be a slugfest or a barn burner, Chris. But at the end of the day, I think we're going to learn a lot about Marion County, and that's what we really want to know about this game is. Where's Marion County starting out from the gates? Because if they're starting out from behind the eight ball here, you know, behind the, you know, right out of the gates, it, it may be a rough season for them because it's not going to get easier for them in that region, Chris. Um, you know, they've got Blessville County and Tyner and, and, you know, those other teams to, to deal with. You know, it's not going to get any easier from this point out, especially with the schedule they have. I believe they have, what, uh, Ray County and Silverdale on their schedule as well, a uh, 5A and a uh, private school team. So, I mean – you turn around, and I may be wrong on that, but you, you can fact check me here in a minute, Chris. But, um, you know, I, I think for Marion County, we're going to see right where they're at and where Dale Pruitt has that team right out of the gates with um, with with, uh, with week one. Chandler, I want to get to our game of the week in, in South Pittsburgh and Sequatchie County. But before mm. we get to that, real quick, I think a big question I have in, in every single one of these games is what does play look like this week? Because mm-hmm. you go back to a typical year when you've been able to have a spring, you've been able to have a, a what we would consider a typical or a normal summer, a normal fall camp. You get a couple of scrimmages in. You get a chance to play your jamboree. Even still, in, in the first week of the season, we see a lot of, we see a lot of alignment penalties, right? Where, where guys don't get lined up right. Sometimes guys can't get in the huddle, get a play called, get to the line of scrimmage and get, get it, get the ball snapped, um, before, before a delay a game penalty. Yeah. So we see a lot of those things. The other thing that we say, that we see is, um, we see a lot of cramping typically mm-hmm. in the early part because of the heat. Mm-hmm. Do we see more of that now? You know, we had a coach, and, and who was the coach who told us that he thought that, oh, it was, it was Jeremy Boskin over at uh, Boyd Buchanan who told us that he thought one of the keys to to his guys being ready this year was their legs. And mm-hmm. he said he had in, in encouraged his kids to, to run. Make sure your legs are there. Don't lose your legs. Mm-hmm. Be ready out of the gate. That's one of those things that I, I really question about a lot of these teams how in shape are they? And then do we see more of those first game kind of jitters 
or those first game early season mistakes because they didn't have the benefit of a scrimmage or two. They didn't have the benefit of a jamboree to try to work some of those things out. I just mm-hmm. wonder if we don't see some really sloppy football all across the area week one. Two things that are going to be key to a week one win for any team in our area. One is an experienced offensive line. If, if your offensive line is out of sync week one, you might as well throw the game away. I know that sounds kind of like, well, you know, but if that offensive line, that's the one you're looking at. They're, they're the ones that are going to come up with those, not to say they're, you know, not to say they're more prone to mistakes or anything, but that's the hardest, I, I think, job to get in sync because you can't get in game shape until you play the game. It's very, very hard to do that, especially with the regulations we've had with COVID. And even, even when you have a regular practice schedule in the, in the summer, it's very hard to get into football shape because until – and I've heard people talk about this at the college, the NFL level. Until you take a hit, you know, that, that's why the preseason in the NFL is so crucial sometimes because you need to see what you're going to be like. Once you get a hit or two on you, once you get out there and pop some pads a little bit, that's when you start to get into football shape because it takes you five, six, seven hits sometimes to even get back into football mode and football shape. Uh, because it's not only the conditioning, but being able to get up when you're hurting and getting back out there. Not super hurt, but, you know, you're going to be sore with that. So I think the two things that, that every team needs is they're going to need to to be conditioned, to be able to take some hits. And two, you know, it, the offensive line play has got to be there. For any team that wants to win week one, it's got to be there because that experience, it doesn't hurt to have a quarterback and a wide receiver and a, and a running back that are in sync and experience too, but especially if that offensive line is experienced, that's what's going to be a key to a week one victory for any team. Challenge is going to be on the coaching staffs, all of them, uh, this week. Who's got a plan? Who sat down back in March when all of this stuff hit and had the forethought to say, man, we're still going to be dealing with this stuff through the summer. We're still going to be dealing with this stuff in August. we got to get a plan together to make sure that our guys are ready I think those are going to be the coaches and the coaching staffs that will do well and the teams that will do well. I, I don't know what the play is going to look like, but I do know this. South Pittsburgh's loaded. they got a bunch of talent. Mm-hmm. They've had some really good teams in the last 25 years. But athletically speaking, I think this may be the most talented athletic team that South Pittsburgh has had. Now, here's what else I know. Sequatchie County has gone against some really good South Pittsburgh teams over the last several years, and they've given them fits, especially early in the season. Chandler, you know this well. I think Sequatchie County is going to try to play slow. I think they try to slow this game down, control the ball, and limit those touches for South Pittsburgh. If Sequatchie County can keep it close, they get this game into the fourth quarter, who knows but in order for that to happen, they can't turn the ball over. Sequatchie County commits two or more turnovers in this game. I think South Pittsburgh blows them out. Yeah, I think it's going to come down. I, I don't think South Pittsburgh, they're going to have that experience to not be as sloppy, Chris. You know, I think when you look down the barrel at this game, what's really going to be crucial is can you slow down the clock against a good South Pittsburgh team? And, you know, I, I was talking today about Sequatchie County, and someone asked me, he said, Oh, it's not even going to be a contest. Well, I don't know about that. If you're going to get the best team probably in the state in, in 1A, 2A, 3A, maybe, who knows, with South Pittsburgh, if you're going to get that team at any point in your schedule, what week do you want them? I want them week one. 
I want them week one. I want them week one. I've always said that. I, there, there is yeah. nobody that does a better job in coaching his team over the course of the season than Vic Greider. And if you're going to play South Pittsburgh, you want to play them in August because mm-hmm. you won't know part of that going into October because the team he will put out there this week is going to be much, much different come Halloween when they trot mm-hmm. out there because he just does a fantastic job of coaching guys up, getting guys better, guys improve. Uh, and it's not just Vic, it's his whole staff, I feel like. They they do as good a job of that, maybe the best job of that, of anybody in our area. Yeah, and Chris, I, I say that, and I'm not trying to say Sequatchie County is going to win this game because I do think they have some kinks to work out. You know, I, I think they're, they're going to be running – a, a not a true – it's not going to be like a Steve Spurrier in the 90s running a true two-quarterback system, pulling them out in every play, which you're going to see some maybe two, maybe three quarterbacks in, in coming into play, not because they don't have a decision made on what they're doing there, but because they're going to have different quarterbacks for different situations. And I think you're going to see this offense. It may be a similar offense to what you saw last year, but you're going to have different pieces at different points to make that offense work. And I think that's – What's going to be troubling, I think that's what's going to make them successful later in the season, but I think it's also going to be what's going to be troubling earlier in the season is not having that one quarterback there. You know, Chris, I, you know, I wonder if anybody can truly run a two-quarterback system and be successful at it at the high school level. Uh, you know, I mean, not like a maybe even a true quarterback, two-quarterback system or maybe even just, you know, throwing one in there every now and then. But I wonder if you really can have a successful system with two quarterbacks. And I will see if that works for them with Sequatchie County because it looks like they're going to have two quarterbacks there in Peyton Campbell and Peyton Campbell and Austin McCurry who are going to maybe not split the low, but they'll be put in in different situations depending on what's going on there. But, uh, you know, I think that's going to be the, the kink in the armor for Sequatchie County if they're going to have one early. It's going to be not having that quarterback where South Pittsburgh is going to have that season quarterback right now. So let me, ask you, let me ask you something. You think Sequatchie plays two quarterbacks? Is the plan to play two quarterbacks all year? I, I don't, like I said, I don't think it'll be a – if it is all year, I don't think it'll be a true two-quarterback system. I think it'll be more like, all right, we're we're not going to put them in like every other play, like Spurrier or something like that. It's going to be more like, hey, we're going to put this one in when we need a pass in or we're going to put this one in when we need a run or we're going to, you know – or maybe not specifically like that, but, hey, this situation fits this quarterback better, you know. Interesting. Uh, so I think that's maybe what we see from Sequatchie County this year. I, that's what I've heard through the rumor mills. You know, I, you know, that's what I'm hearing and it, seeing in practice and that kind of thing as well. But I think that will ultimately be the difference p- between whether they get a win or not is where is that quarterback play week one? Because we know they're going to have some size. We know they're going to have some skill on the outside, maybe even down in the trenches a little bit. But where are they going to be with the quarterback play? <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Did not know that about Sequatchie County, so that'll be something to look out for in that game is is how Sequatchie uses those quarterbacks. So, Chandler, based upon what you're telling me is they've got two quarterbacks who both bring a different skill set to the position, right? Yeah, and, and there may be one that takes a lot more snaps than the other. I just don't know at this point. Uh, it may be that we see one who is our starting quarterback, and he's doing that a lot, but then we get into certain situations, maybe – Maybe it may look like a wildcat situation. It may not. Who knows? But we do have kind of two quarterbacks that have kind of been vying for that job. But they, they, I think they know at this point that they're going to have to use more than one because of all the players they have and because of how much they're replacing from last year. All right. Well, there you have it. That is a look at our week one preview. We invite you to join us 
Uh, on Monday, Chandler and I will be back next week. On Monday, we'll give you a complete review of everything that happened on Friday night. We'll uh, we'll talk about some of the better games from Friday night. And um, Chandler, I guess we need to get to our rankings. We we got to bring our rankings back, don't we? Yeah, I reckon we do. So we'll have those for you coming up on uh, Monday as well. Hey, don't forget, SETN Preps, you can find us at SETN Preps on Twitter. You can find Chandler at Sports Chandler. You can find me at Crisco Fourth One. Make sure you like us on Facebook, SETN Preps. Also, if you haven't done it yet, subscribe, rate, and review. We would appreciate it, especially on Apple Podcast. Uh, love to uh, to see your reviews and appreciate your five-star ratings. Subscribe to the podcast, though, through whatever uh, podcast platform you choose. We're on Apple Podcast. We're on Spotify. Tune in. Pandora. iHeartRadio. We're still on Anchor FM, by the way. And um, if you haven't checked that out yet, you can actually leave us a voice message on Anchor FM, you leave us a good one, we'll play it back here on the podcast. So make sure you do that. You can also check out our website at setnpreps.com. Chandler, anything else before we finish up here in our preview of week one? Yes, we will have our scoreboards going. I don't know if you mentioned this. We'll have our scoreboards going Friday night. You'll be able to look at that on our website, on Twitter, and hopefully we'll have a recap of those on Facebook as well. And you can also check out our schedule. Our schedules on our site are up to date as of right now when we're recording this on Wednesday. So if you go to our site and you go to the schedules, you're going to see the differences we've made in the schedule. You're going to see that McCauley is not playing. You're going to see all those changes already, you know, made for, accounted for there. So you can see all that on our website as well. And, uh, man, I'm so excited that we're, we're going to get football back, Chris. And those updates, by the way, follow us on Twitter, at SETN Preps. Yep. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash SETN Preps, and we'll give you – Plenty of score updates on Friday night, and we'll do it all season. So, Chandler, looking forward to it, man. Here we go. Let's get week one underway. Sounds good.